Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Guys, I want to hear from you. It's 855, the number four, G-A-R-T-E-N. Facebook and Twitter, Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N. That's how you get in touch with us. Or you can use the hashtag S-G-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Oh, yeah, we got a lot of draft talk on the show today. We also have a little bit of baseball. We're going to talk baseball betting lines with Dave Sharapin. He's going to peel back the curtain behind the sports book and tell us where some of these stats and trends are coming out. But big show today. Talking about NFL, LeVon Kirkland is going to join us. Oh, you guys remember him. Clemson Hall of Famer, number 44, turned around to be a really good Pittsburgh Steeler linebacker, old number 99. LeVon Kirkland gives us his insight on Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and some other stuff. But first, we're going to lead it off with our draft analyst, Tony Pauline. We have him on occasionally over the course of the year, but in draft time, I want to hear from him. Profootballnetwork.com, go check him out. Also, Believe Podcast Network. It's draft season, Tony. Great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you again. Absolutely. Tony, look, it all seems uh, that every eye in the country is sitting at the number three pick, right? We're all looking at number three. Why did San Fran move up? I know Mac Jones, the rumors were hot and heavy on that. He was the favorite for a little while. Now Justin Fields seems to be the prohibitive favorite there. I still think Trey Lance can go there. I think Shanahan might be a Lance guy. Do you believe the Mac Jones rumors? Is it a smokescreen? Who do you have going number three? Yeah, two weeks ago, I had said in a show I do with Trey Wingo, formerly of ESPN, that uh, the penciling in or the mocking of uh, the acceptance of Mac Jones number three to the, to the San Francisco 49ers was premature, and it was far from a foregone conclusion. And I kind of got mocked and berated at the time, but it's turning out to be true. The first information that I had received uh, at, literally hours after the trade happened was it was very likely going to be Trey Lance. They'll keep Garoppolo around for a year, develop Trey Lance behind Garoppolo, which is what they need to do. I think Trey Lance is the best fit for that system. You know, I've also, I've, again, had heard people say they feel it's going to be Trey Lance. I think at this point in time, you know what, kudos to San Francisco because they got everybody guessing. In the end, it's going to be Kyle Shanahan is going to get what Kyle Shanahan wants. He's not tipping his hat right now. I, I just think that I think the Mac Jones stuff was overblown from the get-go. Mac Jones does not deserve to be the third pick of the draft. It's a major reach. You know, he, Mac Jones is more NFL-ready than the Justin Fields or the Trey Lance is of the world, but he does not have the upside potential, does not have the arm strength of those guys. Again, I mean, hopefully we'll know more by Monday or Tuesday, but that's the way it stands right now. Yeah, you know, for me, and I like the Lance stuff, you could get Lance at plus 130 right now to go to number three. Justin Fields is minus 120 and 125 where you're looking. For me, it, it was never Mac Jones, only because, not this isn't a knock against Mac Jones, but only because they should have just traded up to just seven with Detroit rather than all the way up to three to take Mac Jones. And, and they wouldn't have had to give up maybe so much. Talk to me about Mac Jones, though, since we're on the topic, because it seems like so much negativity is going his way because, well, he might go number three. But, hey, if I'm a team sitting there at, uh, you know, 10 to 15 or so, I'm ecstatic, and I'm talking maybe New England with Mac Jones. Give me the scouting report on Mac Jones. He's a, he's a field general is, is what he is. He doesn't have the great 
arm. He's not, he doesn't have the Justin Fields' ability to sh- uh, send the ball down the field 55, 60 yards with speed and spin. You know, he's got to put a lot of effort into his downfield passes, but he's got great vision. He, it clicks between the ears. He's shown great progress in his game literally since he stepped on the field to take over for Tua. It's been on, on a straight upswing. And I think the thing about Mac Jones is a lot of people were like me. They were very skeptical about Mac Jones. You've got all this great talent to throw to. You've got two receivers that are going to be top ten picks. You've got a, a running back that's going to be a first-round pick. You've got offensive linemen that are going to be drafted in you know, day two of the draft. You know, how, could you, how could you not succeed uh, with all this talent around you? That's the way I felt. And then I went and watched him for three days at senior bowl practice. And really, it was almost a seamless transition from the national championship game for Mac Jones to senior bowl practice, where he was throwing the receivers that were basically total, total strangers to him. They were foreigners to him. I mean, guys that he had basically just met. Yet the timing, the accuracy, the pass placement, the leadership skills were there. You could see he gets it. And I think that's where his star really, really started to take off uh, within NFL scouting community, understandably so. Still, you know, I mean, if he happens to be the third pick of the draft or even the fourth pick of the draft or, in my opinion, a top-nine pick, it just shows that quarterbacks are just overdrafted insanely uh, come every April. Yeah, they certainly are. And, you know, I thought it was one of the the interesting things that I heard Waddle and Smith both get interviewed, and they said, would you rather, you know, have Tua or Mac Jones? <laughs> Tua, man, they said Mac Jones, uh, both of them, which was, was a little bit surprising. Um, let's talk well, about— they both, they both they both won national championships yeah, right. with Mac Jones. They won a national championship with Tua, so you know what? I, I guess there's something to that. Put the ring on my finger. I'm going to talk highly of you, right? Uh, let's talk about Justin Fields, the, the, the guy that a lot of people are kind of targeting. Like I said, the sports books have him going number three overall. He has seemingly dropped. I'm hearing negativity, and I keep telling everybody, guys, it's draft season. The negativity might be getting thrown out there on purpose to make sure that the team that loves him jumps up and gets him. I'm a little skeptical about Ohio State quarterbacks, but give me your feeling on where does Justin Fields land, and and is he a little underrated right now? Well, I mean, let's go back to, you know, if you listen to any of my podcasts, if you read me, going back in November, I had said that there were, you know, people in the scouting community were talking about the fact that they love Zach Wilson, and they thought that Zach Wilson, two or three years down the road, would be a better quarterback than Justin Fields because he processes things quicker. He sees the field quicker. Uh, and, and that's a big part of the game. And then literally at the senior ball, uh, for better or worse, I was the one who put the story out there that uh, a team I spoke with at the senior ball said we went through all the passes in 2020 that Zach Wilson threw. I'm sorry, that Justin Fields threw. He only looked off his primary target seven, uh, seven occasions. And I said, you know, I don't know if that was by design or it just happened that all his receivers were wide open. I don't know that he's falling. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe he was – slightly overrated to begin with. I mean, that, that's what people have to understand and accept whether they like it or not. He's a real good quarterback. There's no doubt about it. I like Justin Fields. I liked him coming into the season. I, I thought the talk about, you know, him narrowing the gap between, uh, the, or narrowing the gap between himself and, and Trevor Lawrence was ridiculous. He's a guy who, he's got great physical skills. You know, you're going to have to ease him into a system. The, the bottom line is this with Justin Fields even though he's a good quarterback prospect. He played better in 2019 than he did in 2020. And a lot of teams like myself, you know, want to get the quarterback that's on the upswing, want to get the quarterback that's playing really good football. You know, 
That's what happened with Zach, with Zach Wilson. That's what happened with Mac Jones. Didn't happen with Trey Lance, but it's no, no fault of his own because North Dakota State, you know, basically postponed their season to the spring. We're on the phone with Tony Pauline. Guys, go check him out at Pro Football Network. You get 300 Tony Pauline scouting reports, uh, PFN 2021 NFL Draft Guide. Uh, Tony, right before the break, I want to ask you, it's the obvious question. Trevor Lawrence is going number one. We get it, okay? Um, when you're scouting, now, I've spoken to other scouts. I've done some myself. I'm not a professional scout. I, I just can't find a flaw in this guy's game. I mean, he seems the most perfect quarterback that I've seen since Angela coming out of college. Do you agree, or is this now gotten to a level of, uh-oh, uh, we're talking about generational? Yeah, I, no, I, I think he is a generational type of franchise quarterback, as I've said all along, because the people in Jacksonville have had me on, you know, basically interviewed me since the day, we season, since the, the, day the season was over. You're going to have to find ways to manufacture problems in this guy's game. Yeah, maybe his downfield accuracy is a bit spotty at times, but he still still throws some great passes down the field, and he didn't have a lot of targets this year. This guy was a winner uh, on the since the day he, he stepped on the field at Clemson. Uh, you know, they're trying to pick holes in something that he said that you know uh, he he's not a win at all cost guy. Yet the yet this was a guy who despite missing two games because he tested positive for COVID and was out of the high, uh, running for the Heisman Trophy, returned to the field to try and help his team, try and basically carry his team to a national championship. Didn't do it, but when people are questioning his dedication to football, whether he's a win-at-all-cost you know, type of guy, I, I think it's, it's laughable. Uh, he, People will try and pick holes in his game. They're just not there. Yeah, that quote was ridiculous. I mean, the guy's a man of faith, and I think that that's what he was alluding to. Did, did you get the same read as I did? I, I mean, I, I I read the story a bit. I didn't want to get into it because I thought it was kind of ridiculous when I saw the reaction to it, you know, especially, the, like I said, I tested positive for COVID, could have ended a season there. He's out of the Heisman Trophy winning uh, – out of the uh, – the, uh, the candidacy for the Heisman Trophy, out of running for the Heisman Trophy, what does he do? He returns, even though his team's lost the game, and tries to carry his team to the national championship. So I, I read a little bit of it. I, I didn't come to any opinion because I guess my opinion on Trevor Lawrence was formed a long time ago, for better or worse. I am absolutely exactly on board with you there. I read the article. Nothing jumped out at me. I then saw the reaction. I reread the article, and I said, I, I don't know what they're coming to here. And you're right. My opinion on Trevor Lawrence is completely and utterly set. Tony, we're talking quarterbacks. I have two more I want to talk to you about. We have the over-under set at five and a half in the first round for quarterbacks. You can get a good plus money. I think that there might be a sixth. I see Kyle Trask moving up the boards. Again, I know he only played one year, but I see him moving up the boards. His over-under is 64 and a half. I think he definitely gets picked before that. And I like this kid Mills out of Stanford. 140 and a half is his over-under. That means people don't think he's going in the first three and a half rounds. I think he definitely gets picked in the second round. How do you feel about these two guys? Let's go with Mills first. I, you know, I, I definitely think Mills could get selected late second round. Opinions on him are all over the place. I know for a fact the Washington Redskins really like him, so I could see the Redskins scooping him up late in round two. Mills is a guy who, before the season, scouts told me if he has the type of season we think he, he, he you know, he's capable of, which means you know, just a, a total blowout season, he could go top fifteen. Now, plays for Stanford. The Pac-12 couldn't get his act together. And when the, you know, when the Pac-12 finally played, it was basically six weeks in a row or whatever it was, and if you missed the game, that's it. So there was a lot of mayhem there. But Mills really didn't play all that well last year. When I watch him on film, 
He's a guy that sometimes thinks too much and is a bit slow uh, to pull the trigger. He's got all the physical skills to play at the next level. I, I think he's the type of guy that's a developmental type of quarterback. It's going to take a year or so before he's NFL ready. But the physical skills alone, I think, are enough to slide him into the late part of round two. 20 years ago, Kyle Trask would be in the conversation as a, top, uh, as a first-round pick late in round one. But the fact is, is he's not as mobile as teams want. He's not an RPO-type quarterback. He's your classic statuesque pocket passer, if you will. He's got a good arm, doesn't have a great arm. He's a real leader. He's very accurate. Really watched his game take off uh, this year. So, yeah, I can see I have Trask right now. I have three quarterbacks in round two, Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, and Davis Mills. I can see all three of them coming off the board uh, at the start of day two. Our buddy of the show is Rob Mish, uh, who writes for the Chicago Sun-Times. He actually sent me a text, and he said, that you could bet on does Kyle Trask go to New England or Chicago? And I said, it makes sense, right? If they wait until round two, uh, one of them winds up going, you know what, we're going to take a shot at Kyle Trask. How's your thinking there? You think one of them goes, you know what, we got to take a shot? Well, I, I mean, again, I think Chicago also likes Davis Mills uh, – Last week uh, in my pot in the show I do with Trey Wingo, I said the sense that I'm getting from talking to people is that the Bears are almost desperate to come away with a quarterback in the first two rounds, whether it's the trade up to get a quarterback, which it may be difficult, or making sure they get a quarterback in round two. There seems to be desperation on their end to, to come away with a signal call in the first two rounds. So, I, I mean, I think Kyle Trask, you know, that, 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 that team's got to win now. They're in a win-now mode for the coach and general manager, but still – I mean, the coverage kind of bare after those two veteran quarterbacks they have on the roster. I think uh, Bears fans will revolt if they don't get someone. All right, let's move off the quarterbacks. Uh, Pitts has been moving up. I know the Falcons are sitting at four. I think that they should trade out. We hear Dallas maybe wants to trade up. It's all about Pitts, Pitts, Pitts. At the end of the day, the guy's still a tight end, and I know he's a generational tight end, but he's still a tight end. I think it's very aggressive for Dallas to move up to four or the Falcons to pick him here at four. Um, you know, five, six, I'm okay, but that number four spot, I like Kyle Pitts, but he's still a tight end. Well, I would say no to your first. Uh, I would say yes. Yeah, uh, well, let's start again. Number one, I, I don't think Dallas is trading up to number four. I, I mean, Jerry, Jerry Jones likes to make a splash in the draft, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I could understand why Atlanta would take Pitts at, at four. I, I mean, he creates mismatches. He's a terrific player. He's an excellent athlete. He's basically a 245-pound tight end, a 245-pound receiver in a tight end's body. Uh, as I've said time and time again, it's not just what he did, it's who he did it against. You watch the SEC title game, he was matched man against man against Patrick Sertain of Alabama. He beat Sertain. You watch the South Carolina game, South Carolina line, J.C. Horn up against Pitts, couldn't stop him. You watch the Georgia game, Georgia's got three defensive backs that are likely going to be top 100 picks. They constantly were rotating uh, players uh, players to put him up to put them up against Pitts. Couldn't stop Pitt. So it's not that he just looked great on Saturday, but he was beating down uh, top competition. And you saw what happened in that game against LSU uh, when Florida voluntarily sat him down because they wanted to get him healed up for the uh, SEC title game. Florida loses the game. They really can't move the ball all that well. So I, you know, I understand what you're saying. Tight end, he's still a tight end. But, you know, the tight end position is evolving in the NFL. It's becoming more like a big receiver position. Pitts isn't a bad blocker. He's not a dominant blocker. It's not his forte, but they didn't ask him to block that much, especially on the line of scrimmage. You watch the film. He's very good on the second level. I, would, I usually would not 
you know, take a tight end very early in the draft. But you've got to make, you got to make exceptions when there are exceptional prospects, and that's what Kyle Pitts is, an exceptional prospect. We're on the phone with Tony Pauline, NFL Draft Analyst at ProFootballNetwork.com and the Believe Podcast Network. Tony, me and you have talked uh, a couple of times, right? Not always during draft season. And since last year, I've been telling you, Penny Sewell, uh, you know what? I thought he should have been a top 10 pick last year. I thought he was surely going to be the number two pick after Trevor Lawrence this year. All of a sudden, I'm looking at him going, he's falling to six. He's falling to eight. He's almost in a Quentin Nelson type of fall. You know, I'm even hearing people saying that he might not be picked until after Slater. What is going on with Sewell? I think he's an absolute steal for anybody that gets him in the first round. Well, I think you're just reading too much. That's what, what I think. You know, listen, <laughs> he's, it's not that he's falling. It's that, you know, if you have five quarterbacks smashed or, you know, sm- squeezed into the top ten picks, you know, eventually somebody's got to drop. It's not, not nothing – that had to do with Penny Sewell. I think in the end the Cincinnati Bengals are going to take him because they have to take him. He's the third-rated prospect on my board after Trevor Lawrence and Jamar Chase. He's a terrific left tackle prospect. You know, if, if Cincinnati can't make a decision, all they got to do is go back and watch the film of Joe Burrow being carted off the field last year to realize why they have to take Penny Sewell with the uh, fifth pick of the draft. Uh, you know, could they take Kyle Pitts? Maybe. Could they take Jamar Chase? Maybe. But I think, I, I think with Sewell, it, it's almost a need. And really, with the fifth selection of the draft, it's good value as well. Because on my board, anyway, he's the third-rated prospect. So you're getting uh, good value there at the all-important left tackle position. I, I think there is a huge spread between uh, between uh, Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater. In my mind, it's not even close. I don't, I've got my questions about whether or not Rashawn Slater is going to be able to play left tackle at the next level. I have always had him on my guard board. I'm sure he's going to be tried at left tackle. He may prove me wrong. He's a good football player, but he's not Penny Sewell. I could not agree more. I got a number two on my draft board, and I'm I'm going. He's got to go to Cincy until I go. Uh oh, the LSU thing with with, with uh, Chase. Um, what about Micah Parsons? In any other year, I think Micah Parsons, without off the field problems, and maybe if we didn't have COVID and all that, I think he's a top five pick. I think he's clearly the best defensive player in this draft. I think he's clearly the linebacking need. I keep seeing him fall to the Giants, which uh, you know what makes a lot of sense. Is Parsons a guy that you worry about off the field at all, or is this a, just a weird situation that you go, okay, I'm not overly concerned about what he's going to do off the field? Well, I mean, I've got some concerns about Parsons on the field as well because when you really watch the film, his instincts run hot and cold. And what Parsons was able to do on the college field is he's so much more athletic than all of his opponents, and he's so much faster. He's able to make up for some of those mental lapses with his speed, both in a straight line as well as laterally. If you watch him, sometimes he's slow finding the ball. You can see him looking around to see what's going on, and boom, he's able to make up for it because of that speed, because of that athleticism. It's a very easy thing to do on Saturday, very tough thing to replicate on Sunday. So the -the off-the-field issues are going to have to be addressed, and obviously teams are going to have to feel comfortable with the -the off-the-field issues. But they're also going to have to look at the film and say, well, is this guy a 4-3 outside linebacker? Can we line him up in the 3-4? Yeah, he's a great athlete. Yeah, he's very explosive. I mean, he can be an impact player, but there's also a lot of questions there. So, uh, you know, again, I think it's sort of a a situation where, like Justin Fields, maybe people were – overrating him going into the process and now you know just like water he's seeking its its natural level tony 
you alluded to Chase. You have him clearly as the best wide receiver. Waddle Smith is there. Bateman and the Moors. Lot deep wide receiver draft. Uh, give me your rankings after Chase. Obviously, you like him most. Is it Smith? Is it Waddle? Where does Bateman go? Does he wait until the second round? Is it is it early first? Where are they going? Yeah, I, it Chase is far and away number one. Then it's Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. I've got Smith. Uh, a ways behind Chase, and I've got him a slightly ahead of, of Waddle. He's a much more complete receiver. If Devonta Smith had entered last year's draft, he would have been the first receiver selected before Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy. Then I got Rashad Bateman, who's probably going to be drafted in the bottom third of round one. Top of round two, I got Rondell Moore and Kadarius Toney, who could go late first round, but I think they're going to end up at the top of round two. And then Terrence Marshall of LSU. All right, Tony. It's going to be fun, man. I, I don't know if I've ever been more anxious for a draft because this trades, this all this. This is one of the most up-and-down kind of drafts. Uh, can you remember another draft where we don't really have a clue and we're just expecting so many trades, right? Well, yeah, I, I don't know that. I think, first of all, we've had two massive trades. Uh, in fact, one team has already made two trades, the Miami Dolphins. I, I don't know that you're going to have huge numbers of trades. I think once the quarterbacks, once the five quarterbacks come off the board, I think things will settle down. Uh, you know, obviously, Atlanta's a team to watch. Dallas is a team to watch to move, I think, down as well as up. You've got to watch the Patriots because uh, they've done some crazy things in the offseason. They want a quarterback. I, I don't think you're going to see massive amounts of trades, though. All right, guys, it's Tony Pauline. Tony, thanks for your time today. Excellent, as always. Go check him out on the Believe Podcast Network, profootballnetwork.com. And you guys want to check it out. Look, 300 Tony Pauline scouting reports over at PFN 2021 NFL Draft Guide. Go check that out as well. All right, we have a lot more draft talk to go. We'll be back right after this. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, the number three pick is the number that we're all looking at. The number three pick. The odds have been jumping all over. It was Mac Jones just seven days ago who was the leader at minus 120. That has now flipped. All of a sudden, Justin Fields is now the leader at number three at minus 120. You can still get Mac Jones at plus 150. And Trey Lance is closing in on 2-1 to one in some spots. That is the odds to be picked third in the NFL draft. And those are, what are the odds? Yeah, guys, listen, I'm leaning Trey Lance. I'm going to take a stab. Why not? Listen, I'm getting those kind of odds, almost 2-1 to one odds. I'll take a shot at Trey Lance. I-, I like that. Look, one guy that we know 100% is going 10,000 to 1 odds is Trevor Lawrence. By the way, I- I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm driving out. I'm going to go drive to New Jersey, put $10,000 down to win my 100 bucks. After gas and tolls, I'll come back with like 50 bucks. But I, it's free money. I don't care. It's free money. All right, I'm going to do 20 bucks so I can come back. 20000 so I can come back with $100, right? But it's free money. That is going to be Trevor Lawrence. We know he's going to get called number one overall. So who better to talk about Trevor Lawrence than a Clemson Hall of Famer, LeVon Kirkland, host of the Believe in Clemson football on the Believe Podcast Network, former NFL linebacker, member of the Clemson Hall of Fame, LeVon Kirkland. Welcome to the show, LeVon. Hey, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I remember you playing in college. I I was younger, watched you. Number 44 turned into number 99 for Pittsburgh. Absolutely great stuff. I I had to have you on because 
The guy at the top, number one, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I mean, uh, barring a, a massive miracle, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, number one overall. I want to talk to you about Trevor Lawrence. You you probably have a real good insight as to the guy off the field as well as on. And I think it's ridiculous that the Sports Illustrated article came out. I read it. I saw nothing of the sort. Then the reaction. Maybe he doesn't have the mindset to play in the NFL. He doesn't have the dedication. I thought it was ridiculous. Please give me your take on the article. Yeah, I almost thought it was laughable that people really reacted the way they reacted off his comments. I didn't see anything wrong, and I know that being a Clemson guy, you would think that I'm being a little biased, but I'm really not. I thought that he's a young man that basically said that football doesn't run his life. You know, I think sometimes, you know, we look at things like the last dance and we look at Kobe Bryant and we look at all the guys who say, hey, I got a chip on my shoulder. You guys didn't pick me until whenever. When in reality, and you look at the big picture, uh, you know, if you get drafted in the NFL, you're probably one of the top guys who play football. Without the, I mean, with a million guys who are playing, there's only like 200-something guys who get drafted. Even the free agents that come along, they are in the top 2% of football players. So I don't really get that whole chip on my shoulder thing. I mean, it, it works for some people, but I think with Trevor, he was just being authentic. He was, and he was saying that he couldn't really manifest man being, you know, a guy who had a chip on his shoulder when he absolutely don't. So, um, and what I've seen of him in the last three years tells you a whole lot about his character. I mean, he's a he's a swell guy, and um, he's a great football player, by the way. You know, I always bring it up, LeVon, when it, you know, over the last week when people are brought up the chip on the shoulder. I go, yeah, Brady had a trip on his shoulder, but you know what? Never seemed like Peyton Manning did, right? And that worked out fine for him. Yeah, um, yeah. LeVon, you played defense. You were one of the better defensive players that I've ever seen, two-time Pro Bowl, two-time All-Pro, uh, linebacker of the year. How would you defend somebody like Lawrence who does have that deceptive speed, he's got a little deceptive size, and obviously the arm? How would you go about defending him? Well, I think you got to show him different things. I think, you know, him being a rookie, he's going to be tested a lot, you know, with with Jacksonville, with people showing things on the line of scrimmage. You know, it's not going to just be stationary for him. So I would attack him that way where I'm sending him different kind of blitzes and sometimes making sure that I mix my zones up with my man-to-man that he doesn't get a bead on what we're doing as a team but as far as the skill level he has it all but i would just send different variety of things at him and make him really put some pressure on him not only physically but mentally i keep hearing player comps and player comparisons that 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 i've continued to hear about him are not playing in the league right now, right? You're talking Andrew Luck. You're talking Peyton Manning. I'm not a big player comp kind of guy, but do you see somebody in the league now, uh, besides going back to Luck or Manning, that is like Trevor Lawrence, or is this guy just basically breaking the mold? I think in a lot of ways he's unique. I mean, you can I guess you can compare them to certain guys. When I first saw him, he was still a junior, and I was working a, a camp, and the way he was throwing the ball, it was like a pro. I mean, it was like Dan Marino, Steve Young, John Elway kind of <laughs> throwing the ball. Well, you hear the whistle as it goes by. 
I don't really know. I think he's kind of unique in a lot of ways. I mean, you can look at Cam Newton in the way that he can escape and run. Um, his pocket presence is uh, pretty good. I would say that maybe you can compare that to Peyton Manning. I don't know. I try not to get too involved with what other people say because a lot of times we tend to go with what we hear. <laughs> you know, we think that we're independent thinkers, but a lot of times we are persuaded. So what I see is I see a unique player. I see a player that I haven't seen in a while, and he's a guy who has all the tools. It's really up to Jacksonville to help develop him and really surround him with the players that um, he can work with, and hopefully he stays healthy. We're on the phone with LeVon Kirkland, host of the Believe in Clemson Football on the Believe Podcast Network, member of the Clemson Hall of Fame. Uh LeVon, there's there's a new head coach there in Urban Meyer. I think that quarterback success is often tied to the head coach. Now, everyone's just saying, hey, it's going to be Urban Meyer. It's going to be great. But we watched, look, Nick Saban sort of washed out in this league. Steve Spurrier didn't exactly have the greatest success right away. Do you think Urban Meyer has, you know, the mindset of, okay, we're going to work and I'm going to go after Trevor Lawrence, and that's one of the reasons I came into this thing, to just let him fly? Or is Urban Meyer going to have some bumps in the road here? Well, it's going to be a different situation, I feel. I think any time a college coach comes into the NFL, it's a big adjustment. I think anybody who comes from anything and you're promoted to be a head coach, no matter what kind of head coaching experience that you have, it's going to be a little new. And I think for Urban, it's going to be a little bit of a newness there. I mean, you have to get accustomed to the NFL player. Just like the NFL player has to get accustomed to the style of the NFL, coaches have to do that too, especially college coaches, because most college coaches are dealing with younger 18-year-old to 21-year-old, 22-year-old guys. They're not dealing with young men. Are you talking about men that are 25 to 30-year-olds? Now, how do you how do you bring that to you know like how do you adjust to that? Because usually college coaches are more in control. It's their way or the highway. Well, in the NFL, if you talk to players a certain type of way, especially the guy who's been around, he lie, he he may he may cuss you back out. So you have to be careful in the way you treat players. But I always say this, as long as you are a coach that's very authentic and you're a coach that is trying to help the player get better, make more money, then you're good. But if you try to treat them like boys, then you're going to be in a world of hurt. And that's when you lose the locker room. You don't want to lose locker room. And as a coach, you cannot BS the players because they can sniff it, they can see it a mile away, and then you lose the trust factor. And if you lose that trust factor, guys are not going to play for you. They're just not going to play for you. They're not going to commit for you. They're not going to take ownership. So I think with Urban, hey, you were a great college coach, no doubt about it, but this is going to be an adjustment. And can you make the adjustment? Are you open enough to make the adjustment? LaVon, Travis Entien, I thought for the last two years has been the best running back in college. Uh, you could get plus money on him going first. You could get money at uh, a half a running back being selected in the first round. I think he's being vastly underrated here. Eight yards per carry he had one season. Breakaway speed. He carried the team when Lawrence was out with COVID. Talk to me about Travis Entien. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm really impressed with Travis Etienne. I talked to Merle Hodge 
for about 30 minutes about Travis Etienne. He called me up to talk about him, and this has never happened before. As I look at Travis, um, you can see the improvement from his freshman year to his last year. His freshman year, he was just a straight runner. I mean, he could just, I mean, you get him out in the open, he can break an 80, 90 yard run. But you saw the improvements as he went along. Um, from his, his sophomore year, he was vastly improved as far as protecting the quarterback and also catching the ball out of the backfield. And you're absolutely right about he can break tackles. He can run between the tackles. He can split angles. And I saw him do it against the best, the Alabamas, the Ohio States. Um, he has a good flow to him, which what I mean is he's not really an ankle breaker where he's just going to shake you to death, but he seems to really flow as far as a run. When he sees a hole or any kind of opening, he really shits it full speed. So I think anybody who gets him, if he, if he falls like everybody says he's going to go 18, 19, 20, I think it's a steal. I really, I really do. I was talking to someone yesterday about the Washington Redskins. I'm like, hey, if you think there's a linebacker better than Travis Etienne, you probably need to take that linebacker. But I, I, I think he's a steal. I, I honestly hope, <laughs> and this is me being biased, I would love for him to be with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think it would be a great, great move for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think you're getting a steal. If he falls all the way down to 18, 19 picks, I mean, this guy is one of the top players in the league, I mean, in college football. It's so funny. That was my next question to you is, is the Steelers, I know, look, you played for a couple teams, but you'll always be a Steeler to me. And, you know, this could work out perfect. A Clemson guy going to Pittsburgh, and he's the need position. I know that you could find guys later on in the draft in running back. I know you can get free free agent running back. I know all that. I think he's the perfect fit. Do the Steelers go that way, or do the Steelers go offensive line? Uh, you know, you, you really don't know, but I always think a good running back can help a poor offensive line or an aging coach. I mean, an aging quarterback, and that's what they have with Ben Roethlisberger and their offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line needs some retooling, but are you going to find a rookie offensive lineman that's going to just make that much of a difference? Can you find him later on in the draft? Or do you bring free agency? So there's a lot of different ways you can look at this, but I think a player like Travis Etienne at that spot, if he falls to you, he's just too good to pass up. You may not find another running back like that, or you may not find another player like that. So I I would think that in Pittsburgh's case, you need a ground game. You need somebody who can break, you know, has breakaway speed, who who can gain some yards, who can catch the ball at the backfield. And to me, I'm pounding on the table if I'm the scouting department to make sure that the GM picks Travis to ETM because he's been productive. He's been a horse. He rarely hurt. Um, he's a guy who can tote the mail, and he's a very coachable guy. So I see upside with him. I'm not an expert. I don't really know. But I see, from my eyes, I think that he's a steal. Um, around that, you know, those numbers that they're talking about him going to. Not only is he a steal, he might be a stealer. Uh, that was a little corny, but I had to say it. LaVon, yeah, you've, like very... <laughs> like you've been very generous with your time. Thank you again. Guys, go check out 
host of the Believe in Clemson on the Believe Podcast Network. Again, member of the Clemson Hall of Fame, and his accomplishments are huge. Two-time Pro Bowl, two-time All-Pro, NFL Alumni Linebacker of the Year, two-time Pittsburgh Steelers MVP. And I love the Clemson insight. You know, this whole thing with Trevor Lawrence has just gotten overblown, okay? He's number one. I have been high on Trevor Lawrence for years, years. And I'm the same way with Travis Antien. Look, guys, I don't have any Clemson ties, okay? I didn't go to Clemson. I'm not a Clemson fan. I just see what I see in front of me. And what I see in front of me is absolutely um, just underrated in Travis Antien. Again, we said it. You could go find that running back. It's been done before. But if you have a team need, Pittsburgh makes a ton of sense. And I do like the over a half, by the way. I'm all over over a half. And I'll throw some money at Travis Antien. Maybe he'll go number one uh, above Harris. But I think two can go in the first round. I know that uh, you know you got some money to play with here in the draft in some spots. You're getting plus money back. It's worth the shot. Oh, you know what? Look, we don't have to wait that long to find out, right? I mean, this is the week of the NFL draft. We're days away. It's still into the future. Not that far into the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the, the future. future. All right, guys, look, we've been talking about quarterbacks, quarterbacks, and more quarterbacks, and everybody loves the quarterbacks, but bet to the future, I have first non-quarterback drafted odds on the NFL draft. Kyle Pitts comes in at plus 125, Jamar Chase plus 220, Penny Sewell plus 250. Basically, this is, do you think Atlanta or Cincinnati? Who is Atlanta and Cincinnati taking? Does Atlanta trade out? We don't know. What's going on? Do you think so? I mean, I don't know which way to go. I think uh, Benny Sewell should be the choice. I've said that loud and clear at plus 250. I just know people are enamored with Kyle Pitts. I also know that Jamar Chase isn't going to Atlanta, but he might go to Cincinnati. So it's an interesting situation here. First non-quarterback drafted odds. That is bet to the future. All right, guys, we are going to turn the page. I know it's a lot of NFL talk. I know it's a lot of draft talk, but Major League Baseball is still a time to make a lot of money. We're bringing on Las Vegas sportsbook veteran odds maker. He's a sports gambling writer, host, analyst, Cash Consid show on the betting podcast behind the counter. It's Dave Sharpin. Dave, how you been, man? Tom, what's up, man? Uh, I've been good. It's been crazy. This full-time media gig is great, but at the same time, uh, you know the life. It's hectic. It's sports and it's gambling. So there's, there's just always something to talk about every single day. Yes, there is. And and today we're going to talk a little baseball and, and let's talk about my team and the perception that people are, are really freaking out. Yankees in a spiral. The Yankees can't hit. <laughs> the Yankees are awful. I was going back and forth on Twitter with uh, Gary Sheffield Jr. And you know, we were talking about Stanton and Torres. They're batting under 200. It's terrible. Um, but at the end of the day, look, you know, they're not any further away from a, a couple game winning streak and getting 500. Yet the lines and the bookmakers still continue to make the Yankees massive favorites. It doesn't matter who's on the mound. It doesn't matter if it's Montgomery or Cole. These guys are massive favorites. In the sports book mindset, Dave, is this just look, this is the Yankees. We don't care how they're playing. People are just going to bet on them. Man, it's one of those things, Tom, where you're in the book and you have to make lines, and you have to ideally make the line for not just you know 
the, the general public and who's going to bet it, but you got to make the line for what I call the bad guys, the, you know, the sharp guys that are going to come in and play a limit play um, on either side. You have to make the Yankees favored because, because if you don't, they're going to play the Yankees, and it doesn't matter who's pitching. I mean, it does matter. Obviously, Cole will be favored every time he pitches. There will be maybe two times all season where he's a dog, and it's against another ace who's really rolling and going well. But we all know the Yankees. Like, it's April. Everybody calm down. Yankee fans, it's going to be okay. I mean, maybe. Tom, like, they don't hit. They miss and they swing and miss a lot. And you you don't start making, like, big adjustments as the book until maybe, you know, May. So the Yankees are going to be fine. As long, I mean, as long as they're 500 by the end of April, which, again, I mean, we're, 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 we're still got at least, like, nine games or whatever until we're at the end of April. It's going to be fine. So I tell Yankee fans, relax, enjoy it while you can because you're getting them at a cheap price. And when they go on a little four-game, five-game winning streak, you're going to be touting them as the uh, World Series champs. So I don't know about all of that, but, yeah, it's fun booking Yankee games as much as it is any other team, but they definitely move the needle, and they're in multiple parlays every single day from baseball bettors all over. Dave, from behind-the-counter aspect and the mindset, uh, that's the, the betting podcast you do, it's the mindset that I, I like to know. We know, as Yankee fans, I, I'm well aware, look, Tampa – just owns the Yankees. We had Pedro Martinez actually stand up there when Pedro was, was dominant, saying, the Yankees are my daddy, right? Do you take into account the mindset of a team when you just go, man, you know what? This team might be better than this team or this team, but they just absolutely can't play them. Do you take that into account when you're making the lines? I think you really got to be a baseball guy and a baseball um, fan, kind of, to even consider it. When you make lines, it's just the numbers. I mean, really, you just you become numb to a lot of it. I love baseball. I, I mean, a lot of guys kind of take the summer off to do this and have done it for a long time because it is a grind and it is hard to do. So they kind of remove themselves from it and don't really pay attention to that stuff. Where, listen, I love football and football is king in the book, but baseball to me is the sport that I think both betters uh, can make the most money on and books have to be careful on because if you don't pay attention and don't take that into consideration, you can get hurt a little bit. So I think you do. You'll get the argument. I've had this argument for years in a risk room with people at the counter like, yeah, I, I, I know. And yes, we're shading the line a little bit towards Tampa because they own the Yankees right now. But other books would be like, no, nah, they're the Yankees. They're, people are going to bet them. We're not discounting the price. We're going to make them pay. And I think you have two schools of thought, and the mindset has to be it's, – it's very individualized from book to book. But at the same time, if you and me were in the room and we knew it, we would be shading it to, 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 to reflect that in the price. How about individual pitchers? Um, I remember mm. I tell the story all the time that uh, when you were probably making the lines, Zach Granke and Ubaldo Jimenez both went on a streak where they won oh. 10 games in a row in the same year. They Neither one of them were ever more than a 115 favorite or whatnot. How long does it take for the books to go, okay, look, wait a minute, this guy's red hot. We got to adjust the line. Or the other way, an old guy that has a track record starts getting blown up and you got to go, ah, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to start noticing things. 
How many games does that usually take? Great, great question. See, this is why I love talking to you when we get the chance together to get to talk. No one will ask me this question but you. Uh, Burns for Milwaukee, right? How many times is it going to be? He was a dog yesterday against San Diego. Individual pitcher who hasn't walked a batter yet. And he goes into a pitcher's park in San Diego. They have a lineup that's less than desirable. I mean, their big dogs are not even in it. And they're a dog. Now, I see it, and I think the sooner uh, someone in the book sees it, a guy has to make adjustment. You have to make the adjustment to try to get money on the other side because if you're missing it, you're going to get beat up. And I think the sooner you see it with a pitcher, like for me, it was I remember that him and his run. I mean, he, he was in Colorado, right, when he did that. It was ridiculous. And Granky was young. He was doing the Royals. Doing it. And yeah, he was, he was with nobody the Royals. knew it, but, but the Sharp guys were betting him. And they're like, you know, so they see it a lot sooner because, you know, as the book, you're, you're, you're distracted and you're trying to do baseball. You're doing NBA. You're doing, you know, last week was the Masters. And, like, you know, this week coming up, next week, you're doing Kentucky Derby futures. Oh, yeah, hockey playoffs are coming up. NBA MVP futures. You're so distracted. And – the best ones that I've been a part of have specialized with guys like you're the baseball guy. I need you to pay attention more to baseball than anything else. Okay. So you got to start identifying these pitchers sooner. So you're, so you're pricing them appropriately in the game three of their 10 game winning streak, not game nine or game 10. It's too late by then. So I think for betters, I tell people all the time, like identify those pitchers as much as the ones to ride, to get on the winning streak, you got to find guys that are go against. Like, there's guys, I mean, in in Major League Baseball pitching that you know are going to lose more often than they're not. They're going to give up runs. They're an over pitcher. The sooner you identify it, the better, because you're going to get prices that aren't going to exist as books finally go, man, this guy's really good. We should actually juice it more on this side. It takes too long, Tom. So it's a great question, and I think I, I think it just it's not addressed quick enough in most cases and then when it is it's over adjusted and the guy hits a losing streak yeah I'm, i i cleaned up in that jimenez and granky run and i just kept saying what am i missing you know there are oftentimes where you out thinking you go what why why is this 115 and now i'm scared well because i it should be you know 200 and and the same thing the other way i love how you mentioned the other way uh were you were you booking during the anthony young run what, what did he lose 20 games oh, or a run? No. were you booking then oh. I wish I was. No, I was not. I was, but that was a dream. Like, and and I go back to Jose De Leon for the Pirates. He lost 19 games in a year, and it was an automatic. You just knew that if he pitched good, they didn't hit, and if he pitched bad, they didn't score enough. But he was in the rotation and stayed in the rotation. Those things are going to happen. But now they pull them from the rotation. They send them down the option to trip away, or they get rid of them sooner than later. Because there's like now major league pitching, every guy throws 95 and throws gas, and you can just replace them quicker. Now it's harder to to have a starter last and lose games. So, yeah, man, like Anthony Young was that. That's never going to happen again. But that would be a dream to go against, and that would be one where yes, I would have reflected that price 
Make it whatever you want on the other side. And somebody please come in and bet Anthony Young because I think he's going to lose. You think he's going to lose, but I need money on the other side because that's what happens in baseball. Books ride streaks, and they're on the wrong side of it more often than not. You can make it huge, right? You can make it huge. All right, we are talking Major League Baseball, and we are talking with Dave Sharapin, Las Vegas sports veteran odds maker, sports gambling writer, host, analyst, Cash Consid show. That's on the betting podcast behind the counter. Dave, we left it off. We're talking about uh, starting pitches that you bet against. Here's something that's going to blow your mind. How about this is an automatic bet against that will make you money? Jacob DeGrom. Over the last four years, the Mets are five games under 500 when DeGrom pitches. Think about the numbers because the books just keep lining this guy at minus 200, and he keeps going out there pitching great, and they keep losing. Is Jacob DeGrom the one guy that the books just simply can't get right, or is it the public just can't get right? Public can't get them right, Tom. Uh, he, they just, he's so good, but the Mets never hit when he pitches. You want to talk about somebody that has had no run support, literally no run support at all. Um, he's it. And at what point, like, that, that was a great discussion we, we, we had just last year, even the year before, where it was like, how do you price DeGrom? Like, you're going to make them a dog, you know, on the road, like they're, you know, they're at the Mets or they're at the Cubs and it's not even a good pitching matchup. They're favored because the Cubs pitchers are eh, iffy at best, you know? So now what do you do with the Grom? You can't make him pick them because the other pitchers are minus 120, minus 130. So you got to make it 150. It looks wrong. It feels wrong. And it sometimes those bets you make that, that hurts, like it physically hurts. I'm betting against Jacob DeGrom. He's the Cy Young Award winner. He gives up uh, two runs a game when he pitches maximum. And I'm betting against him. Yeah, you are, and you'd be successful. And that's a great one. Like you could have given me a list of five, ten guys and him on it. I would have picked him last. Um, well, maybe second to last. But there's a, there's a couple guys that you got to identify like that. The odds – are more important than the players sometimes, especially the starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. Jacob DeGrom is where Moneyline parlays go to die. <laughs> that's, that's what he is. He's the Moneyline parlay killer. And it's not him, but I'm throwing it on him. Uh, let's keep talking about starting pitchers. How do you book Otani? The guy has massive hype. People want to root for him. People want to bet him. The reality, though, he's a five-inning pitcher that has control problems, right? The Angels are are, are starting to play better, but Otani, to me, is a tough guy to line because you know the public backing is going to be there, but you also know he's going to be out of there in the fifth or the sixth inning. It's never really been harder to line all pitchers. Pitchers in baseball, I argue, have more value than any individual player in any sport, along with the quarterback in the NFL, and it's only certain quarterbacks now, it's very rare, and the starting goaltender in the NHL. And that's even narrowing the gap. I mean, it used to be when you got the number one guy or you got the number two guy, it was a big drop-off, and it's not that case anymore. But, I mean, books did away with listing pitchers, Tom. Like, it, it, it's, it couldn't believe it, but we had to make a decision when their teams are starting, like the Angels were starting a, a reliever and calling it an opener, and it was it was messing up the action, and we didn't couldn't get adjusted prices. So 
Otani's a great case where it's like, man, I know what I see and I know the hype, but it's way overpriced every time he goes out, especially at home. Like it's it's you gotta you like that's where you see the first five become so prevalent and wise guys, sharp baseball betters for years have been playing this first five market and it's exploding with the you know um, expansion of sports betting and sports betting content, the secret's out. Like, you can bet the first five and eliminate the bullpen. So now I only have to make, you know, Otani is only going to go five while I'm betting on the first five, and I'm betting that the Angels are going to be ahead. So you're seeing that more often than not. But as far as the overall game price, I personally think it's way overpriced almost every single time he pitches, especially at home. Uh, with this Angels team. We're on the phone with Dave Sharpin, Las Vegas sports book veteran, sports book operator, Cash Consid show. Go check it out. And uh, Dave, <laughs> uh, first five, I talk about it on my show all the time, so much so that people tweet me out and they go, oh my God, is this your favorite? Yes, it is my favorite bet in every sport is to bet on the first five. I love it. I absolutely love it. And you know what I like? I like first five unders. Um, speaking of of first five unders, right? How about let's go talk about overs. I did an entire show uh, based on Dunedin and what I've heard from it and what it was going to be and how this was going to be a launching pad. I was down in Florida right there. I was in Safety Harbor, which is right next door to Dunedin down in Florida um, during COVID. And all I heard was, man, if the Blue Jays play here, you have no idea how this this park plays. It has become like Coors Field South. So I want to ask you, I know that you're not lining games anymore, but you see Dunedin. How did you take care of the Rockies games with the overs? And now with Dunedin, it's the, the word's starting to get out. Balls are flying out there. How do you take into account that, you know what, how how big can we make this? How What's the number? Is it a 12? Is it a 13? It's, it's so hard. Like the Colorado games have, you know, been the bane of, of – Ozmaker's existence for a long time and the wind blowing out at Wrigley Field the same thing you just don't know and you have to make a game where if you get the report that the wind was blowing in it's seven and a half maybe eight if it's blowing out it's 11 and a half or 12 that's a big difference so what's happening in in Florida right now with the Blue Jays and Dunedin is is very very difficult and my guys that I talked to you know, we, we, we trade texts all the time, and, and I'm not in the room with them, but I'm with them all the time. And they're like, man, we don't know what to do yet with this Toronto thing because do you, do you bump it up when good pitchers are pitching, when Ryu's pitching at home? Like, is, is that – do you have to bump him up? I mean, because he's still dealing. You know, Pedro pitched in Fenway Park, which, again, is, is like a band box sometimes, and sometimes it's not. But when he was dealing, it didn't matter. So I think the real hard part is when you get a very random pitching matchup, like, you know, today there's Thornton is pitching against Richards. What do you make that number? Like, what would that number be in Toronto? I don't know. But in Boston, it's nine and a half. Is it the same number that it would be in Toronto or in Dunedin, you know, with them as the home team? I don't think so. How high can you get? We're going to, we're going to find out by, by June or July, like when it's really hot there and you get those crazy windy days, you might see 13s. You really might. And again, even like in the NBA is it the, the totals adjustments, the totals are the hardest thing to make. That's why the limits are the lowest. You watch games, the Pelicans go over every game. Oddsmakers get lazy and make it 235. 
I'm sitting in the room going, it should be 249. They score 250 every night, bump it up. Well, it's hard to do if no one else is doing it. So you won't see outliers, at least at first. But when the data starts to indicate, listen, you guys keep making the totals nine and a half and ten and down in Dunedin, you're wrong. Make it 11. See if anybody bets it under. And then when it gets to 14 in the fifth inning, you can pat yourself on the back and come up with the number for tomorrow. That's all it's about. It's all about the number. we got about three minutes left, Dave. I've got to ask you about the Dodgers. They're on a streak where I, I, I uncovered this, and I said, they haven't been an underdog in two years. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, I've lived, and so have you, through the 99 Yankees. We lived through the 125-win you know, Yankees and the 115-win Seattle team. I never remember a stretch where they, there's a team that just simply will never be an underdog. I can't imagine the Dodgers this year ever being an underdog. I mean, it would, be, it would take something drastic. They have not been an underdog in two years. Talk to me about the Dodgers. How do you make them a dog in any case? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I was I was doing a show and I said I'll make the total one sixteen and a half. Are you betting over or under? And most of the people said over. That's a lot of wins, but it's justified. They're the best team in baseball. They got the best pitching staff. They don't even have a closer that they can really rely on. They just win games and they covered the run line. Tom, forget about being a favorite every day. Three fifty. You're going to see $4 on one of the Bauer pitches or pitching outings or um, Kershaw against a really bad team like my Buckos or something. Um, but they cover the run line too. So you can you can just, you know, throw it all to the wind and just lay a run and a half and lay 170 or 180 and they cover. It's, it's really tough. I don't know the answer. I don't know if we're going to find out this year, if but – the only way they're a dog is, listen, I don't know how good your arm is if you can get loose, but if you get the start for the Dodgers, they may be a dog. That may be where I have to go. Hey, wait a minute. I was pretty good there. I might be pl- pl- <laughs> I might be like minus 110, right? <laughs> Dave, it has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Guys, that is Dave Sharapin, Las Vegas sportsbook veteran, odds maker, sports gambling writer, host, analyst. Go check him out, and you guys can go check it out over on Twitter and go check out his podcast. It's Cash Consider. Show it's all kinds of good stuff behind the scenes. You like to to kind of peel back the curtain, so to speak, about Las Vegas and and the Las Vegas odds makers. Dave is a guy you want to go check out. We always always like having him on. And I'm telling you, talking about baseball, it's funny how you get two guys in the room, and we were on different sides. I mean, for years, right? He's making the lines. I'm trying to beat him on the lines. Uh, but it's the same mindset, right? It's the same kind of mindset that you have of. All right, well, you know what? The public hasn't adjusted to this guy or this one. And it's so rare for me to talk to anybody in sports. Forget about sports betting, but in sports. And I'll bring up a a moment of sports betting history, like Ubaldo and Granke. And with Dave, it's all of a sudden, it's, oh, yes, I remember that. Because it does. It's impactful. While... Sports fans have this idea and this uh, you know, memory of great plays, diving plays, great touchdown, awesome run, whatever it might be, uh, you know, big dunk. Sports betting guys have, oh, man, I remember that streak. I remember the Anthony Young streak. I remember Granky and Upaldo. I remember that. 
And it's something with the Dodgers that we're in right now. I remember where the Dodgers went two years without being an underdog, right? Or DeGrom. I remember the best pitcher in baseball for four years. Uh, if you just bet against him, you, you, you could retire. That is an interesting situation. So that's a little bit of baseball, guys. But we know, look, it's all NFL draft. Everything is NFL draft. At the end of the show, look, this is what I got, right? I'm taking Mills. I'm taking Trask to be picked at their under, whether it be 65, 64 and a half, Mills, I've seen as high as 140 circle open them up at. I like the under. I think there's a chance both could go in the first round. I'm taking them both to go in the second round, so give me those two. Those are absolutely Mills. If you could get it at 140, you can get anything over over uh, even 80. I'm jumping all that. That's my biggest bet. Also like running backs over the half. I know you got pay a little bit of money. I like it, but you can also manipulate the line. Take ETN under. Harris under. I like them all. And if you want the uh, surest bet that I'll ever give, uh, go take $20,000 to win 100 bucks <laughs> on, on Trevor Lawrence going number one overall. No, but seriously, look, guys, enjoy the draft. It's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. I think we do have some trades. I think we have some wildness, even starting as early as three and four. Everything else is after that. But I do like to cash some bets during the draft. So those are the ones I'm looking at. Guys, I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. We'll be back. And you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.